all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have my friend, Dr. Jarrett Morgan, on with us. Um, some of y'all may be familiar with him and recognize his voice. He has He's come on the show several times and he filled in for me a lot when I was out on maternity leave. So welcome back to the show, Dr. Morgan. Thank you, Dr. McLeod. I'm happy to be back on. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Morgan is a MedPeds physician at UMC as well, and we are colleagues and work together. But he also has some special titles, and he is, um, uh, I guess, certified in obesity medicine. Is that the term? That's it. Okay. So certified in obesity medicine. So that means he took another test, <laughs> bless him, um, to get another certification so that he can take care of patients with obesity. So he is one of our physicians in our bariatrics clinic. Um, we have a bariatrics clinic at UMC that does both surgical and medical, and so he is one of our medical providers there. Um, but the reason he's on today is because another little side passion he likes is alternative medicines and natural remedies and what are some of the things that you can do at home or some of the kind of if you don't want to if you want to stay away from the prescription side of things so he's here today we're going to talk about that but as always we can answer any of your questions or I'm sure some of you listening have some natural remedies out there that you have found to be helpful so give us a call and share those you can always send an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org um, so good morning again, Dr. Morgan. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be back on. Uh, happy February 1st to all the listeners. Oh, yeah, it is. The first day of February. We finally made it through January. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like January gets a bad rap, um, and it's my birthday month, so I try not to knock it too much. But everybody always talks about how long January lasts, <laughs> and it is true. So, yeah. So happy February 1st. Okay, tell us a little bit about why... Oh, I guess let's talk about complementary herbal medicine in general, just kind of like away from the Western side of things that we're used to um, and more a little bit like Eastern medicine, I guess you would say. So tell us a little bit about some of the different things that are involved in that and then why you got involved in this and why you think it's important. Exactly. So um, so the term complementary alternative medicine is really kind of an umbrella term. Uh, we use it frequently kind of interchangeable with holistic medicine. They essentially mean the same thing. And for, for most people, you can think of it in two big categories. So one being more natural-based therapies. So that would be include things like herbal remedies, uh, poultices, essential oils, um, aromatherapy, uh, things similar to that. 
but also it includes other things that you may not think are quite connected, things that uh, what we call mind-body techniques. So that would include things like acupuncture or acupressure. Um, yoga is included in there, mindfulness as well. So uh, that, again, that's just an umbrella term um, to really include both um, the stuff that you can take and the stuff that people can do to you, <laughs> essentially. Um, why I kind of got into this is because, you know, as uh, social media uh, and popularity about different products kind of um, blossoms in so many respects, I have a lot more patients, and I'm sure you have as well, just asking about different things that I may not use myself, but just have, have to dive in the rabbit hole to find out more about. So um, a lot of that is new herbal remedies. Um, a lot of times, and myself included, I really don't like taking pills. And I'm sure there are plenty of pa- patients out there with things like hypertension or diabetes that really don't like taking pills. Not to say that stuff has, it it does not lack utility at all. Obviously, we encourage you to take your medicine, wink, wink. Um, But are there (laughs) any other things that may essentially help your response or help your overall health? Um, So that's not just with me, not just with you, obviously, but just CAM or complementary alternative medicine has just really exploded in popularity over um, the last few years, especially. So that's just a little bit about why I got into just this as my, uh, my side passion. Yes. And, you know, I always tell people, as long as it's not going to harm you, why not try it? You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing, um, like gas drops for babies. Eh, They Mm -hmm. probably don't work that well, but sometimes they do help. And as a mom, when your baby is crying in the middle of the night, you just want to do something to help them because, you know, they don't feel good. So the gas drops aren't going to hurt the baby. Most of these herbal supplements aren't going to hurt you. And, hey, if it lowers your blood pressure or if it helps bring your cholesterol down, why not try it? You know, it's okay to try it. So um, from a, you know, physician, Western medicine standpoint, we do have some hesitation about some herbal supplements. And that's mostly because potential interactions with some of your prescription medications, uh, you know, lack of uh, evidence, because some of these, yeah, it may show that it can be help in some ways but there's not a lot of true evidence out there i guess you would say you Mm -hmm. know there's a lot of um what's the term i'm looking for like associative Mm -hmm. like you know it's associated with but not necessarily proven i guess cause and effect um so you know from our standpoint there are a lot of reservations for for certain patients but for majority of patients it's really not going to be a big deal so the other thing is and you can elaborate on this a little bit is there's not regulation from the fda with a lot of these supplements absolutely you know whenever there's new medication let's just take heart failure for instance whenever there's a new heart failure medication it goes through a very very rigorous process so it's like tens of years uh, between like the time when someone has an idea essentially of a medicine before it comes on the market and with that you have different tests and trials to test the purity every now and then things sneak uh, past the process but for the most part things are very pure and very well regulated well tested Um, with that comes like essentially testing or or exposing a certain amount of people, you essentially five hundreds to thousands of people at a time to really see what the safety of that particular medicine is. I use heart failure because obviously there's been like a couple of different heart failure meds that have uh, become a lot more um, efficacious, if you will, over the last like couple of years. Um, contrast that to herbs. So normally things like sea moss oil or sea moss or black seed oil. A lot of times we may not have, or the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA, it does not undergo the 
these different products don't undergo the same safety um, uh, testing or experiments to really see is it really this or does it include any other products as well. So it's always kind of a, um, a double-edged sword. Like you may want to explore some of these products, but just be aware that essentially some of them may be not quite as pure mm-hmm. as some other prescription medicines that most of us physicians use. Right. And then, you know, I mentioned the drug interactions. I guess that's another big thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you are on a medicine that you have been prescribed by your provider, you want to make sure that you review any new supplements that you are about to start because there's lots of them that not necessarily interact with the drug specifically, but that they can activate certain, you know, chromosomes and all the different pathways involved in the medication breakdown. So some, like per se, that are like broken down in the liver, you mm-hmm. know, they uh, some of these medications may actually affect the cytochromes and the different processes that are involved in the liver, which ultimately will affect your prescription medicine so you just have to be careful like it's not necessarily going to interact with your medicine as much as it affects with your system that breaks down your medicine which can alter your levels um i guess that's a better way to to say that you know i think it's a just you're alluding to the the very fundamental fact just have a conversation with your doctor Mm -hmm. it's it's very important because oftentimes some providers never ask and if we don't ask we don't know and so it's very important that it's a conversation it's a team effort to really decide is this the best product for you right I mean, I think one of the kind of fundamental examples that we learned about in med school was probably something called St. John's wort, <laughs> wort uh, which is used for stress, anxiety, depression, but it is it is horrible with interacting with all manner of medicines, so seizure medicines, uh, of course, regular depression medications, and even some uh, other, um, other blood thinning medications. So very important that um, patients and providers have that conversation between themselves to see, hey, is this the right pick for me? Right. And we're talking about natural remedies um, and just some of the different complementary alternative medicine options, whether that be supplements. And then we're going to get into a little bit of the mind-body interventions, which I admittedly don't know a ton about. So Dr. Morgan is here to help us lead that discussion. And we do have a caller on the line. So we have Mark. Good morning, Mark. What's going on? Uh, Not much. I've got a Part question. I know it's a kid section, but this is strictly for the uh, about the obesity thing. I have a uh, wife who's a borderline diabetic who doesn't want to do exercises um, or or anything like that because her feet hurt too much after work. But she's also can't take it can't take an Ozempic pen because she has a uh, bad uh, stomach issues from the cause of it. What could be a alternative source for her to lose weight? That's part one. The other part is I have diabetes that runs on my mom's side of the family, but I'm polar opposite of my wife. I stay extremely active in sports. I'm actually a certified MHSAA basketball ref, so I stay in constant shape uh, due to the sport. Is there anything I could do other than healthy eating to either cut down my weight just a little or maintain it? Uh, those are great questions, Mark. I really appreciate you calling in. So um, with regards to your wife and like an herbal supplement as an alternative for weight loss, the unfortunate part is that there's not really been any single 
herbal supplement that's really been the most effective with weight loss. Um, there, there are a couple different options that people have looked into that anecdotally in small scale data may show some benefits. So that would be things like Arsenia, uh, which is actually in a couple different popular weight loss supplements. Um, and also there's one, uh, Camellia sinensis, which essentially is just green tea. Um, green tea by itself has been shown uh, with people drinking up to two or three cups a day um, to help promote weight loss. But with that weight loss, it's not really been what we call significant to be like an extreme result, not nearly to the result as we see with some of our prescription weight loss medicines. Um, so with now, that, I will say, I will say this much that she is a very, uh, she loves to drink sweet tea. Mm-hmm. So with her going to an herbal green tea, would that still be beneficial? Yes, yeah, so that would actually be a lot better. So um, even though I said there's no single agent, as a whole, big dietary changes do, for the most part, show a lot of benefit for weight loss. And so uh, eliminating processed sugars are a big first step. So sweet tea, we're in down here in the South, right? So we love our sweet tea. I'm guilty of that myself. Um, that is a huge first step that people can take to cutting down on their processed calorie intake and switching to an herbal green oh, tea. Man. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, uh, soft drink connoisseur. Absolutely. The thing about soft drinks. Soft drinks like no tomorrow. Yeah. The thing about soft drinks, that that, that high fructose corn syrup, that's a hard sugar for your body to metabolize. So um, even something switching to like crystal light packets and like water, it's it's only 10 calories. It usually cuts down on quite a bit of calorie intake across the day. Um, And it's much easier for your body to metabolize those type sugars. So um, eliminating process. Like like Gatorade and Powerade, stuff like that would be a lot better off. But the zero sugar, because regular Gatorade and Powerade has a pretty good bit of sugar, too. So you have to be careful even with those electrolyte drinks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So that's for you as well. So zero sugar drinks, um, obviously just pure water. Um, and, of course, the green tea might be a good additive. And, and like obviously, sweetening it with honey is, is a lot better option than even using other types of sweeteners as well. <clears throat> okay. No. I'll see if I can implement that on my wife and see if we can uh, start to see a uh, better reaction. Absolutely. And as far as like an overall diet, I mean, I think we've discussed this several times on the show before, but I'm a huge advocate for the Mediterranean diet. It's a good holistic uh, and it really encompasses a lot of the basic health principles that we talk about frequently. So eliminating processed sugars, limiting high fatty uh, meats and incorporating a lot more fruits and veggies, uh, which are themselves super packed in antioxidants and vitamins. So it's a good, complete nutrient profile um, that is good for both you and your wife to cut down on your risk and also to help her with weight loss. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you, Mark, so much for calling. Thank you. Yeah, you have a great day. All right, so let's get into some of the supplements because this is, I feel like, where a lot of people have questions and um, may have heard of some of these supplements, but they don't really know what they do. Um I'll pick up my mom for just a second because I know she's at school and can't hear me, but she's gotten better. But she used to take probably 10 or 12 different pills at bedtime. And I'm like, what are all of those? And they were all just vitamins and supplements that she had found. And she had no clue what any of them did. But um, besides the vitamin D, I guess she knew what vitamin D did. Uh, But a lot of them, she just, you know, well, I saw it. I saw this and somebody said this was good. And, you know, so anyway. 
they say, as my dad always used to laugh at us because we'd say, well, they say, you know, so who is they? And is there any proof that these are actually beneficial? So let's get into the nitty gritty of some of them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know which one you want to start with, but we can start with some of the different ones and let's talk about them. Uh, I guess we can talk about saw palmetto. Okay. Um, I have a lot of older male patients, and uh, it's just the time frequently happens that our prostates enlarge. Uh, we have issues with uh, urination, either starting or frequency, uh, increased frequency. Um, a lot of times people are uh, having aversion to taking pills, as we mentioned earlier, and are looking for just an alternative. And one herb that has been shown to have some benefit, um, maybe a little bit more so than some of the others that we'll discuss, is saw palmetto, uh, which People frequently can get in pill form, um, and essentially it has a, a similar effect to some of our prescription meds to decrease the size of the prostate to relieve symptoms. Uh, it's not nearly as significant if you put them head-to-head, uh, not nearly as significant as some of our other medicines like Flomax, uh, but it is a, a good alternative, and it doesn't interact with a lot of other medicines, and that's something that I want to kind of reinforce for a lot of these supplements is that safety profile for this one is actually pretty good. Yeah. And it works, I mean, fairly well. Like you mm-hmm. said, when you put it head-to-head up against Flomax, the, the Flomax is going to be beneficial. But the problem with, like, we'll pick on Flomax, for example, um, can make you dizzy when you get when you stand up, mm-hmm. um, can make you a little lightheaded. I've even had some patients, especially my older male patients, as they've gotten older, pass out from it, you know, having what we call, like, orthostatic um symptoms so you know if you are a patient who is sensitive to that but you're having problems with your prostate and you don't really want to do any types of procedures and you can't really tolerate the Flomax for other reasons you know this would be a good option for you um it's probably not going to fix all of your problems but it definitely can help I've I've had multiple patients tell me that it has been beneficial so Mm -hmm. it's worth a shot for certain patients in certain situations same here I think we got another caller, Dr. Oh, yeah. Morgan. Go for it. Yeah, we got John in Mobile. Good morning, John. What's going on? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to know the doctor's opinion about uh, protein supplements, like a protein shake for uh, maintaining muscle mass for men over sixty. And I just want to know how he felt about that, and if he had any recommendations for what type of protein supplement, if if any. Absolutely. That's a great question, John. I appreciate you calling in. So um, obviously past age 35, we have kind of a a regular loss of muscle mass. So that continues. Uh, Arguably, the best thing that you can do is a regular exercise routine. Um, So a regular uh, either resistance or strength-based routine uh, is probably one of the more superior things to maintain that muscle mass. In addition to that, dietary protein. And because we don't typically get a lot of the protein that we need, protein supplements are actually a, a good idea. Um, we do have to be a little bit cautious in some patients with, say, kidney disease, um, that you don't want to excessively use protein. Uh, but if your kidneys are normal, um, a protein shake is a good idea. Uh, and whether that soy or whey, typically whey may be a little bit better than m- more, uh, most soy protein-based supplements. Um, typically, it's it's uh, if you're going to go by calculation, usually one gram per kilogram. So if like you're around 70 kilogram, uh, if you can calculate that to pounds, uh, usually it's about 70, 60 to 70 grams of protein that you'll need per day. So I wouldn't go excessively too high, probably no more than at least 25, 30% above your recommended maintenance level for the day. Um, but again, for the older population, at least 100%, 110%, 120% of your um, recommended maintenance protein is actually a good idea. Uh, I hope that answers your question, John. 
It did. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, thank you. Um, do you have any favorite protein supplements out there? No, I actually don't. Yeah. I encourage people to just look at their own, and, and I'm not sure if you actually have any of your own, but I actually don't have any preferences, believe it or not. No. I mean, I have... Um, Oh, and now I'm trying. Oh, the Fairlife. Mm-hmm. They have a shake out mm-hmm. there, a protein shake that's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's chocolate. And I can't remember how many grams it has, but it's a pretty good bit. It's mm-hmm. like 25, 30, maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a decent little bit. Yeah. Um, Premier is another one that people frequently use. Yeah, Premier is a good one, too. But yeah, the Fairlife one is one that I've found to be really helpful. And whenever I am drinking it and people see me drinking it, they always say, oh, that's my favorite one, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I can never find it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to find, I guess, because it is everybody's favorite. So I don't know if you had a favorite one out there that you liked. No, I don't. I think frequently most of my patients use Premier, and I'm like, ah, sure, go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that one, too. Okay, so we mentioned Saul Palmetto can mm-hmm. be really good for BPH, mm-hmm. and that's S-A-W space P-A-L-M-E-T-T-O. Because I know we say these, but sometimes it's <laughs> it's kind of hard to understand exactly what we're saying and if you want to write it down so you can spell it out. Um, but that is used for prostate symptoms, so a lot of our males, and it can be very helpful. All right, let's talk about another one. Which one do you want to talk about next? Uh, skipping down on my list here, I, I may want to talk about CMOS. So this is probably one of the more popular ones that I'm sure people have seen either Facebook or TikTok uh, that I get a lot of questions about. Um, in general, CMOS is actually pretty pretty safe. A lot of the seaweed-based supplements, either this or some of the algae-based like chlorella or spirulina, are pretty complete as far as their nutrition profile. They're not very well studied for a specific condition, but it's just like general health. Like if you want something that's maybe um, full, chock full of vitamins and minerals, but not, but more so just for general health, um, this or other supplements are actually kind of a good idea. Again, sea moss and other ones like chlorella or spirulina. With sea moss in particular, you have to be a little bit careful with the formulations. Uh, there are some that may be a little bit higher in sodium, and it's just a matter of looking and see where you get it from. Um, and the higher sodium, of course, for people with blood pressure is just going to counteract every good thing that's in there mm-hmm. because it's going to raise your blood pressure. Um, but those are actually kind of a good idea. The only other part to that would be sometimes you have to be a little bit careful with the vitamin K content. So mm-hmm. for people who are in blood thinners like Warfarin, probably an idea to talk with your provider to see if that's best for you. And so is sea moss the same thing as seaweed too? Because I've seen those little dry seaweed little chips, I guess mm-hmm. you could get. I don't know. It's similar. It's a little bit different species, but they're essentially all seaweed. So they're very similar in their uh, kind of nutrient yeah. um, profiles. Because I've always heard seaweed is, is good for you and healthy, mm-hmm. but I've never been able to bring myself to buy it. <laughs> like, it's just the thought of saying I'm eating seaweed yes. just kind of like, oh, kind of makes me, you know. But I'm also the pickiest person on the planet. So, <laughs> This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We have been talking today about alternative medicine and focusing on some different supplements. And we are here to answer any questions that you may have. Or maybe you have some supplements that you have found to be really helpful for certain medical problems. So share those with us. Um, We did have a caller call, but they had to hang up. So they had a question and they asked, what are your thoughts on um, drink supplements? So like Crystallite or Celsius, um, some of those other, uh, not medicines, drink supplements Mm -hmm. that you can do. 
So with any of those, you have to be a little bit careful, particularly with the Celsius or some of the other brands that are more caffeinated. Um, I'm not as familiar with those. I'm not going to lie. Um, but just be aware of the, the caffeine content with some of them. Um, in general, they're lower calories. So Crystal Light is a great alternative. I mean, for instance, Coke's, Coke has hundreds of calories. Crystal Light, like I mentioned earlier, has 10. Uh, and, of course, you, it's just, you mix in simple water, so it's, and you have a lot less, fewer preservatives. So in general, um, it's, it's a good alternative. I'm not sure if you had any other opinions. No, I mean, I love Crystal Light. <laughs> I, um, I try to cut myself off of Diet Cokes because I was drinking them entirely too much. And so I would get the Crystal Lights with, I don't drink coffee, so mm-hmm. I've got to find my caffeine another way. And so Crystal Light makes some with caffeine. And mm-hmm. so my husband and I, that's what we drink every morning because neither one of us drink coffee. Um, and so we love the Crystal Lights. And I use it a lot too to encourage my younger patients to drink water. So when parents are having a hard time getting their kids to drink water because they like juice and things like that, that are just full of all these empty calories and um, sugars. So I will tell them oftentimes to use things like uh, Crystal Light. Now, Kool-Aid and all those other supplement, all those other drinks that make powders too, um, yes, they flavor your drink, but they also have a lot of sugar. Yes. <laughs> so you have to be really careful with some of those. The Celsius, I've heard, I tried the Celsius. I don't know, maybe I'm just a weenie. But like <laughs> I tried the to pour the Celsius in and I mean, it made me shake a little bit mm-hmm. um, because it's a it's a pretty good bit of caffeine. I think it's like 200 milligrams in one packet. Come so. on, Dr. McLeod. I know. You're in the medical field. You got to handle more caffeine than I that. Know, but <laughs> ew, it made me shake. I couldn't do it. I did not I did not like it. I so. have a question. Yeah. Producer Lacey chiming in here. Go ahead. I drink a Celsius every day. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> Would it be healthier to drink the Celsius pack in water instead? Oh, that's a good question. Most likely, yes. Uh, I'm not as from. Uh, I don't believe there's a difference, but I imagine that there probably is a little bit of difference in just the additives in the actual like pre-made liquid form. Sure. Um, so because you're just being exposed to fewer preservatives and all the additives that that frequently may cause more adverse health than we realize, uh, I'd probably say the packet is probably um, uh, healthier for you, a all better right. option for you. Fun fact. Thank good you. question. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lacey. All right, we've got a few more callers on the line. I think we've got Bob first. Good morning, Bob. What's going on? All right, thanks for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. This is my question. You know, they come out with zero sugar drinks, all different uh, manufacturers. And I got (sighs) to thinking, well, there ain't no sugar in it. It wouldn't be bad to start drinking it. But I start reading uh, what makes it sweet is aspartame. How bad is aspartame for you? So, I mean, none of these sweeteners are natural, I guess. So you do have to be careful from that standpoint. Just because anything that's not natural, there's always the potential there. Um, However, as far as I know... Aspartame is okay. There hasn't been anything, you know, there have been lots of potential links with aspartame to cancer and different things like that. But, oh, my gosh, there's potential links to cancer with this phone I'm holding in my hand, you know. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there for potential links. But if aspartame was really that unsafe, there's no way it would be in as many drinks as it is. I mean, it's in every 
you know, no sugar drink out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is always that risk. Now, there are some more natural sweetener things that you can use. Like, I think stevia is a little bit more natural. Um, So if you wanted to try to make your own drink, like mix it. I've seen a lot of people do that with water and lemon and put a little stevia in there, you know, to make your own natural drink. Um, You could do that. So, is aspartame the healthiest option? Probably not because it is, you know, man-made and pretty much everything we do is not great for our health. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the FDA would not let it be in as many drinks as it is if it was truly harmful to you. Mm-hmm. All right. I have one more quick question. Go ahead. All right. You, they got this PSA test, whatever it is, mm-hmm. for prostate. Yes, sir. And if, you, if yours is a certain number... It goes down to zero. What does that indicate? So the PSA, it stands for prostate-specific antigen, and what it is is it is a protein, essentially, that's leaked out when the prostate gets really big. Now, men's prostates get bigger over time, just in general. As you get older, we know that happens. That's called benign prostatic hyperplasia, hypertrophy, whichever one you want to call it. Um, So over time, we see men's PSA tend to rise just as their prostate gets bigger. Our biggest concern with prostate is the other thing that can make it go up is if you have prostate cancer. Um, And so if your PSA is on the rise, a lot of time we will send you over to a urologist to get evaluated to make sure that that PSA is related more towards just your prostate being bigger and not necessarily cancer. Um, Unless your prostate is removed, I can't imagine that your PSA would ever be zero. Um, Just because as long as you have a prostate there, you're going to have at least some of the PS, your level of PSA will probably never be zero. Well, could it, what if it goes almost to zero? Like yeah. Like it was like six and it goes over 10 years or so, it goes down to real low. Yeah. Now, if you were on medicines for your prostate, you know, that could potentially do that. Um, or if you had a little prostate cancer and they gave you some hormonal therapy, that could do that as well, too. Um, so some of those medicines, some of those different treatments could probably lower your PSA a little bit, too. Does sal palmetto lower your, your count? Um, I would have to look that up, but I would think probably it would be similar to, like, some of the Flomax and different things like that that just relax in the prostate and make it, you know, shrinking up a little bit. It could would, lower it. What would be an average number if you don't have any problems? Um, anywhere between, you know, zero to I think four, maybe four or five. I think even five would probably be considered normal in some people, but usually under four. Well, you said zero to four. You said it would be practical or not. Couldn't happen to have a zero. Well, it's like point, you know, anywhere between zero to one, I guess. We do have some, but... It's very rare. I've never seen zero. I, same here. I've never quite seen zero. But to to further elucidate your point or follow up on your point, the salt palmetto may have some reduction as far as I've seen. Again, it's not as significant as with some of our prescription medicines, but it can. Um, if it gets to a point where your prostate is, is supremely stressed, it will squirt out more enzyme with therapy, it will, it will flow back down. So I would actually take the fact that the number is going down as a win. Mm-hmm. All right, Morgan, is your father named Danny? He is. Well, tell him hello. I will. I will. Yeah, he grew up in Hattiesburg. Y'all must have grown up together. Well, my wife did. He, 
He's uh, her cousin. Okay, that's cool. Well, nice to meet you, Bob. Thanks for calling in. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. We'll go next to Gabe. Good morning, Gabe. What's going on? Good morning. What's your question or comment today? Well, um, about um, cholesterol. My cholesterol has uh, always been on the high side, but I've always had the good cholesterol has always been very high as well. And um, now I have a new primary care physician. My previous primary care physician told me that because my good cholesterol was so high that it offset the bad cholesterol, and I didn't need to um, be concerned about it. I have a new primary care physician who thinks I have to immediately uh, go on uh, Pravastatin. Um, so I'm a little confused. Um, and, and as you guys were speaking earlier, I, I don't want to take the pills, but um, I want to understand if there's something else I can do other than uh, take the pills and how much the good cholesterol offsets the bad cholesterol. So I'll, I'll let Dr. Morgan chime in on some of the alternative medicines for cholesterol, but I'll kind of explain some of our reasoning for cholesterol medicines from a physician's standpoint. Um, so a lot of our guidelines for cholesterol management have changed over the years, and in particular, probably within the last five to 10 years. Um, So we used to um, look at your numbers specifically and would say, you know, if your number, we need your LDL to be less than 130 and blah, 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 you know, we would just automatically look at numbers. Now we look at uh, more of a big picture standpoint. So uh, the American Heart Association who kind of helped come up with a lot of these guidelines, they have said, you know, if you have diabetes, they strongly recommend you getting on a cholesterol medicine, even if your cholesterol really is not that bad, just because your risk of um, atherosclerosis or heart disease, strokes, all of those different complications that you can get from diabetes is, is so high that we know that starting you on certain cholesterol medicines can help with that. Um, another thing that we look at now is we have a atherosclerosis risk calculator. So we can plug you into our little calculator. It, um, it takes into a bunch of different factors, males versus females, black versus white, Hispanic. Um, it takes into account your kidney function, um, your BMI. Or I don't know. Is it your BMI or is it just your kidney function? I think it does your BMI. Does. If you have hypertension, diabetes, I mean, it's a million different things. Um, and it can give you a 10-year risk. And based off of that risk, if it's less than uh, 6.5 or 7%, you know, they're probably going to recommend you getting on a cholesterol medicine based off of that. And then we also look at numbers. But, you know, I mentioned earlier we said it used to be 130 Now we're actually a little bit more lenient, and we say 190, and we're looking more at a bigger picture and just all of your other risk factors. So that may be part of the reason why your new primary care doctor is recommending it, because of some of the other complications and medical problems that you have, more so than just looking at the hard, fast numbers. So that's kind of a long story and explanation, but the whole way we approach cholesterol has just really changed over the past 10 years. From when I started training to now, it's completely different. Absolutely. And with regards to uh, any other medicines or, or kind of supplements that may be in assistance for you too, um, 
Two in particular, one that we've mentioned, sea moss, uh, may have some utility as well, as well as one other one that we call black seed oil. Um, the reasoning why is that these are both higher in fiber. Uh, and so from a, from a general standpoint, we really advocate for patients with higher cholesterol to increase their dietary fiber, and particularly foods with what we call soluble fiber, uh, which will essentially help to decrease your absorption of fat and, decrease, and increase how much you push out uh, through your poops. And so foods that are higher in fiber, Whole, uh, whole grains, barleys, uh, fresh fruits, leafy green vegetables, um, uh, anything, things like psyllium or metamucil may also have some utility as well. Um, with regards to other things, a good cardio routine, instituting a good, consistent cardio routine will also help your body to basically use up more of that fat to decrease those levels as well. So again, from uh, three big things, good cardio routine, um, increased dietary fiber, but also instituting some other supplements such as black seed oil, flaxseed may also have some utility as well, again, due to that increased fiber content and the sea moss as well. I hope that helps you. That helps, but can I follow up? Oh, yes, sir. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so I, I don't have any of the health problems that you mentioned. I exercise regularly. I, um, um, so I, I just – actually, I'm more confused now because I don't know – my cholesterol number was 140. Mm-hmm. My low cholesterol was 140. Um, and based on what the other doctor said, that's not, under the new guidelines, that's not drastic. No. And also with my high cholesterol, my good cholesterol being so high, is there any offset there? Some, yes. Yeah, so we do know having a higher HDL, anything greater than 50, um, can help you some with your atherosclerosis risk. Um, so, yeah, so if you're high, you know, if your HDL is a little bit higher, a lot of that is genetics, um, and that can be beneficial t- for you. But, yeah, if your number is only 140, I mean, based off of the new guidelines, I would say that you don't necessarily have to start a medicine, um, you know, as long as they plug you into the calculator and everything looks good from that standpoint, too. So you may just want to have a little bit more discussion and maybe ask the doctor where he's coming from and why he's getting these, you know, why he feels so strongly that you need to be on a medicine um, and just kind of hear him out because he may have plugged you into the calculator and feels like your risk is high enough. Well, uh, I'm not sure that I was use the calculator. How can I, do I have to ask for that? Yeah, I would just ask him, say that you heard about the 10-year risk calculator and you wanted to see what your risk calculated out to be. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of... It's not a simple calculation. It's something that, you know, we have to plug into. I always plug it into the computer to do for mm-hmm. me because it's not something that you can do easily. So I would just make sure to ask him about that. Okay, so we've talked um, about some of the common supplements. We did um, saw palmetto and uh, sea moss, black seed oil. Um, I think you mentioned garlic with our last call or two, which can be helpful for cholesterol. Uh, before we move on, and flaxseed, um, before we move on, one that we haven't brought up but can be helpful is um, black cohosh. Mm-hmm. can be really helpful for our menopausal women. Um, I know this is technically kids and teens, but um, moms and grandmothers out there listening, black cohosh can actually be pretty helpful for hot flashes in particular. Um, you have to take a decent amount of it, but it 
it works. So, uh, you know, if it's something that you like want to avoid hormone therapy or maybe you have a history of breast cancer, uterine cancer, things like that where you don't want to do hormones, um, black cohosh can be helpful for you too. And then um, before we go, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about some of the mind-body stuff with the yoga and uh, meditation and different things like that and how important it can be. But I think we do have one more caller on the line. uh, I don't think she's ready yet. Um, But tell us real quick about how yoga can be helpful. And then we'll also mention acupuncture, too. Mm -hmm. With regards to um, other mind-body techniques, things like yoga, stretching, mindfulness, that kind of all, again, falls in that general umbrella category of outside things that really help with um, what we call either chronic pain um, or different joint issues as well. Uh, There are frequently, we obviously have a lot of patients that we see, and I see see them in both our adults and kids, our pediatric population, that deal with chronic either lower back pain or or, um, larger joints, knees, elbows, shoulders. And um, as far as being on chronic medicines, it's not really being effective as much. I'm going to pause for just a second because we do have a caller that is ready for a moment. Yes. Hey, good morning. What's going on? Hey, um, this is Denise from Conklin West Point. And I just had a a general, um, I guess I wanted you to come in on how you feel about a patient taking... um, uh, vitamin E and milk thistle uh, for a liver issue like fatal liver disease. And so I can just listen off air to your comment. Yeah, thanks for your call. Milk thistle was on our list. We just didn't have enough time to get to it. So yeah, Dr. Morgan, take over for milk thistle real quick. So I actually love milk thistle. So there are two kind of alternative uh, supplements, if you will, that really uh, frequently the GI doctors will tell people they're effective for people with liver disease. So one is just simply black coffee. So drinking about three, two to three cups per day is very helpful for um, for liver disease and has been shown to decrease mortality, morbidity. Um, but milk thistle is another. Uh, it's just a simple supplement. You can either get the supplement form or there's an extract, which is called silymarin. It's kind of hard to find that one in particular, but milk thistle is a lot more readily available. And for the most part, it's actually very helpful. Um, It doesn't really interact with a lot. There are a couple of medicines that you have to be a little bit cautious of. So if people are on like anti-seizure medicines, such as um, phenytoin um, or another one, uh, Valium, which is obviously for depression, uh, which frequently people avoid anyway in liver disease. But if people are on those um, or also blood thinners like warfarin, um, you have to be a little bit cautious because it may actually decrease the levels of those medications. But for the vast majority of patients in those with liver disease or fatty liver disease or cirrhosis, which are things we actually see on the rise um, nowadays, it actually is helpful. And same thing with vitamin E as well. Yeah. I have a patient who swears by her milk thistle, and I, you can you can tell when she doesn't take her milk thistle and she comes to see me, her liver tests always go up. And then she says, give me three months of my milk thistle, and then we repeat her labs, and they're always back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, my aunt used it for her dog, mm-hmm. um, who was in having problems with his liver, and she gave it to her dog. And I'm not I'm not a vet, so don't, <laughs> don't take my advice from that standpoint. But she swore by it, and like for real, her dog lived with liver problems for another four or five years after that, based off of the milk thistle. So, milk thistle is one that has been proven to be very helpful too. So, absolutely. 
Um, well, thank you for coming in. We're going to need you to come back so we can talk more about like some of the mind body stuff and the acupuncture and yoga because there's a lot to that as well too. So, but thanks, Dr. Morgan, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who called in. We appreciate your calls. If there was something that you missed, you can always email us kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and it's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and it's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Uh, Lacey was our show producer today, and I think Charles was our call screener. So thank you all so much for your help. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.